0: What's happening? It's Young Hove, and you're listening to Reviews and Done with your host Derek Dunn. Hey, yo, Dunn, son, start the show. <laughs> What's going on, world? Once again, it's your man, Derek Dunn back with another interview for Reviews and Done. My guest today is Mr. Nitty Green from the R&B group Riff. Now, unless What's you're up, a man? true R&B connoisseur, You might not remember riff, but I'm going to give you a hint. You guys remember the 1989 movie, Lean on Me? And you guys remember the songbirds that were singing in the bathroom that Morgan Freeman kind of embarrassed and made them sing on the spot? That was riff. So, yeah, I know you guys got it in your head now who they are. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this nostalgic trip. I'm going to take down memory lane with riffs. Nitty Green. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm blessed, man. Thank you, brother. Quarantining, man. Quarantining. (laughs)
0: That's what you can do, bro. And, you know, like I tell, you know, family and friends and everybody I talk to, you know, I don't foresee things going back to normal for a long while.
1: So, you know, know, we just take
0: the time to self-improve, spend time with our family, and do all we can to stay safe.
1: Man... You said a mouthful right there, man. I don't see it going back to normal. This is the new normal as of right now. So, you know, everybody, you know, stay protected.
0: Oh, yeah, and, it's you know, it's fine with it it being the new norm. And I think the only thing I kind of miss is um, Mm -hmm. being at work a little bit and just being around some adult faces, some other adult faces, because, you know, I'm, I'm with my wife and my son. All day, right. you know, love me death, but, you know, sometimes, you know, right. you just need that break. You need to see somebody new and, you know, engage in some other conversations with uh, other folks.
1: You yeah, know, but, man, I mean, that's
0: funny, funny man. Everybody. Like, you know, I'm sure um, kids miss going to school and, you know, and talking with their friends at the lunch shower. I'm sure, you know, if you have a significant other that's not working, they might miss being around the office, you know, office, gossiping yeah. about so-and-so. So, but, I mean, it's all up. Like, you know, I'm healthy. I'm waking up every day, so I can't complain.
1: Nah, man. No way. We cannot complain, man. Enjoy the time with your loved ones. That's it. You know what I mean? When it's time for us to go back, it'll happen. It will happen. Right now, we just got to stay protected, man. That's it. No doubt. So let's
0: go ahead and get into Mm -hmm. this riff history. So growing up, who were some of your early musical influences?
1: All right. Well, growing, growing up, man. Um, and we're talking about the band, or are you talking about myself? We're talking about the band, right?
0: Oh, right now you're, you're a representative, so let's, you know, let's let's get into your influence. Right. You know, you know, down the interview, man. You know, we'll 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 get into rest interviews, but right now, since you, uh, you know, picked up the ball to leave the team and you know yeah. score that winning basket, it's all Famous uh, city <laughs> green right now. So you, uh, you can, got uh, it, man chop it
1: up you got it you got it all right well see when i was growing up man in my house man my musical influences were my mother and my two sisters man we used to sing around the house i used to watch my mom sing at church and stuff like that you know i come from a family man that's uh you know it's a lot of it's a lot of talent within the whole entire family so it's like you know going to my church home, you know, you've seen a lot going on, man. My grandfather, uh, you know what I mean, he sang, and, you know, my uncle played the saxophone. We had a lot of drummers, a lot of keyboard players. The choir was ridiculous, man. We just, you know. And then after church, we would get together over by my auntie's house, man, and have a jam session, man. It was ridiculous. So my musical influences was my family, straight up. And then as I got older, you know, I started taking a listening to uh, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, a gospel group um out of Detroit by the name of Commission. You know, of yes, course sir. Michael Jackson. Of course Michael Jackson and uh uh Stevie Wonder and uh the Clark Sisters and pff, you know what I'm saying, Prince, you know, those those guys is where I pretty much you know, it made me want to take it a little bit further, as far as in the entertainment. Wanted to try, try to learn more. You know, other than singing in church, I wanted to wanted to be like Mike Jackson and, and, and Prince and those guys, like that. You know what I mean? A lot of a lot of groups from the '80s is where I got my first dosage from. Right there.
0: Cool, cool. When did you link up with Kenneth Kelly, Dwayne Jones,
1: Anthony uh-huh. Fuller,
0: and Stephen Capers to form the group?
1: Okay, well, how Riff got started? Uh, we we um used to sing in a gospel group um, coming up, uh, and uh, by the name of uh, the Spotlight Gospel Singers. That that was the name. We were you know young kids hanging around, we used to get together, harmonize and stuff like that. You know, the 4th MDs, we used to do new addition. And, uh, you know, the gentleman by the name of Al Jones uh, wanted to start a gospel group, and we all, you know, got together. We wasn't called Riff at that time. We were called, you know, the Spotlight Gospel Singers. And we started singing together. We got our first shot, like, just knowing that we can all sing together from that group then we went off to high school um and again riff wasn't formed then we went off to high school and um pretty much give you the history on how riff got started we um i got called to the office uh to principal joe clark's office this is in high school my freshman year in high school um, he called me to the office uh, over the loudspeaker during homeroom. It's 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm hearing, Michael Best, can you come to the principal office? And I'm like, wow. Now it's four weeks, I guess it's like four weeks into the school year, and I'm getting called to the office. I wasn't a bad kid. I was a shy guy. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to figure out why in the hell am I getting called to the office. So um, I get called down. And just so you know, I want to put this out there. We, like Mr. Clark, was very stern on learning the school song. (laughs) Now, by no means, the school song, the way you know it now, the way we sing it, it wasn't like it didn't sound the way we sing it. So anyway, I get down to the office and uh, I walk in. You know, the secretary's laughing, and she goes, "You can go into the office." So I walk in and there's two girls in the office with Mister Clark. So it's my baby mama. You know, I'm not gonna give her name on the air because she might, you know, try to get residuals or whatever. <laughs> But, you know, it was because of her, my group was formed, Riff was formed. But it it was two girls in there. It was my baby mama and a girl that I was talking to as a friend. We we was just friends. And uh, Mr. Clark says, uh, Mr. Bess, which one of these ladies do you go with? Which one of these ladies are you dating? He was a prior, man. He wanted to get into everybody's business. Mr. Clark was that type of guy. He knew everybody's name in the building, which was amazing. Like, there's was over, like, a thousand kids in this high school. He knows everybody's name. By walking down the hall, he know them. So he goes, which one of these girls is your uh, girlfriend? I was like, neither one of them. And he said, Mr. Best, you know what? He said, I don't believe you. He says, you... Or a playboy and I could tell you know you got the, you know the green eyes you think you're a playboy and I was like nah no sir that's that's not my that's not what I do he goes you know what today is uh, ladies you're gonna get a treat he said mr. Bess is is gonna sing the school song for the whole entire building and I said mr. Clark I was like sir now, at the time, be honest with you, I didn't know the school song, okay. And had he known that, he would have kicked me out of the school. So, but this is how it went. It went exactly like this. What he says, this?
0: Yeah?
1: huh? <laughs> Let's pause huh? real quick. So that yeah. was some
0: that was some little stuff. If you didn't know the school song, he would kick you out. I didn't know
1: it. And had he I mean, known I mean, that right I mean, then? <laughs> he would have kicked me out of the school because he demanded that everybody in the building learn the school song and learn to sing it on demand. All right? Wow. And it was, it was, it was corny. It was like, <laughs> fair east high, by that side we'll stand and always praise thy name. It was all some, like, opera choir thing, right? So, again, I didn't know it, but I didn't tell him that. I said, Mr. Clark, I was like, i make a deal with you. I, I played it off. You know, I, I had that charm where I can, like, convince cats to, like, you know, believe what I'm saying. So I said to him, I said, Mr. Clark, I said, I promise you. I said, I don't want to sing it for you today. I said, if you let me come back here tomorrow, I said, I will blow you away with it. I said, and you will not regret it. He said, if you don't come here, he said, being at his secretary day, he said, I'm going to let you slide. But if you ain't here tomorrow to sing this school song, he said, Michael Best, I'm going to suspend you for the whole entire year. You're going to have to repeat the grade. I said, all right. I left out of the office. After school, I went over to Anthony and Dwayne's house. Me, Anthony, and Dwayne, we sat in – their mother's living room, and we rearranged the school song, put 3 Paul to it, and we came back to the school the next morning. And when I tell you, man, like we, we turned it out like the whole school, like you can hear the whole school cheer after we was done. And Mr. Clark made us, like he told, he told me at that point, he says, listen, he said, I want you to come back here every day and sing it over the loudspeaker. So we went back every day for like a month to sing the school song so that everybody can learn it the way we learned it. By that time, you know, within the second week, we added Kenny Kelly and we added Stephen Capers, which is my cousin, and we got together, and that's when Kenny Kelly added that. Praise thy name, praise thy name to ever. He added all of that stuff. So we added more to it, and... The school went crazy. So Mr. Clark, at that point, told us, he said he had a surprise for us. He said he's not going to tell us right now, but give him, you know, a couple months. It's going to come back. So I'll pause that right there because I know you got some more questions. But that's how Anthony, Duane, Kenny, and Chill got into the group riff at that particular time. We rearranged the school song and... And we got uh, our chance to be famous around the school, and our name was called the Playboys because he called us the Playboys at that time.
0: Remember, like I said, we ain't got to pause, bro. This is um this is your time to give your testimony, and give your story. So <laughs> I'm all about letting artists um you know tell tell their truth and tell their story. Um, mm-hmm. truth, truth, truth be told, you know it, it all depends on the artist, and if they want to um go for up to two hours, and then they go up to two hours. If they only go 25 minutes, they only go 25 minutes. So, hell, if you want to tell your story, Mr. Green, by all means, tell your story. Like I said, I'm just here listening and listening to you tell your truth. So, to me, my other disclaimer is every artist that I've been interviewing in this COVID, hearing them tell their truth, hearing them tell their story, and it's hearing that vigor and excitement in their voice, it's the yeah. equivalent the sports fans got watching the Jordan documentary and that's my right hand to God. So this right here, hearing, hearing you talk, just like hearing every other singer that I grew up on or even singers that came out, you know, when I was an adult, hearing you guys talk, you know, take time out of your busy schedule is my Jordan documentary. So tell your story, bro. It's your time to uh, you. shine.
1: <laughs> right, thank you, man. So, uh, yeah, man. So, Couple months later, we went to sing the school song, you know, in the office. After we sang it, you know, uh, Mr. Clark was like, "I got to tell you guys something." Um, he goes, "Look, um, there's going to be some white people coming into the building by the end of this month." He said, "I'm not going to mention it to nobody else." He was like, "You guys." I'm going to let you guys know because I want you guys to be a part of it. He said, "Um, I got Hollywood is coming into the building. He said, they're going to be filming a movie about me. He says, "Um, and I want you guys to be in the movie. He said, I got Morgan Freeman is going to be playing me. We couldn't believe it, man. We was like, what? What? He was like, "Yeah, they're making a they're making a movie about Eastside High School, and I want you guys to be in the movie." So we like going crazy. We like what? Oh my god! We getting ready to be in a movie. Bye blah, bye. Blah, blah. So went home. and was telling our parents and stuff. So you know, you know, he's saying, you know, he want us to sing the school song just the way we did it in the movie. So you know, we. We practicing every day, man. Together as a group now, we're the Playboys, you know. We're 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 practicing every day, like waiting for Hollywood to come in. You know what I mean? So uh, when they started coming in, man, you know, you 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 know, he gets over the loudspeaker. He goes, "Listen, um, everybody," he said. We have some visitors in the building today. He said, "Don't pay them no attention. Go on about your every day." You know, duties, your, your, your studies, don't pay them any attention. He said, I have an announcement to make. But I'm going to make it at the end of the day. We knew what it was. The school didn't. So at, two, what was it, 245, Mr. Clark gets over the speaker, and he says, I'm having a movie made. We're having a movie made about our school." And the people that's in the building is Hollywood. He said everybody's gonna be in the movie. So, with that being said, man, that's when we found out that you know auditions, auditions was taking place uh, in a few weeks, and you know he wanted to, he wanted us to sing for the producer, the writer and the uh, ex- executive producer of the movie so you know we had that meeting we sang it for them they loved it and they wrote us into the script that's how riff got their start right there man we was written into the script lean on me they definitely wanted us to be a part of it
0: dope that's not my god at work right there
1: yeah man we,
0: we know what's gonna happen you know is- like they say, it may not come when you wanted to, but it will be there right on time. Right on time,
1: brother. Boy, was it, man. We was like five kids from the hood. First of all, making a nice penny, you know, filming that movie because we were considered principals of the movie, like, because we had a big part. So we were paid a little different than the extras. Like, so, yeah. you know what I mean? It was a blessing in disguise because true story, and I'm going to get in a little deep. At that time, man, I was going through so much. My family was going through so much, man. Like, I, you know, we had lost our home. Like, my, my parents, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we couldn't hold up, you know, the mortgage on our home. We ended up moving in with family. So that money that I was getting filming that movie was, you know, was like, a uh, a blessing, man, because we were able to get our own things back on track, man. So it was like a real testimony for me, period. Because you know things went south, and you know family was there, but it's 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 different when you have your own things, man. You know what I mean? You know you're not walking over people. You know you're not feeling feeling like you're in the way and stuff like that. So it, it was nice, you know, for that to happen, man. Like, God has really, really been good to me. Like, we we really, you know, he's really had his hand on me for a long time, man. So I'm blessed, man. Thank God for that. Thank God for that movie. That's all I can say. <laughs> thank God for that movie, man. Thank. Listen, thank God for my baby mama, like, straight up, <laughs> like, you know, being jealous, like trying to find out if I was messing with this girl to go try to make me look crazy in front of Mr. Clark, not knowing that Mr. Clark was getting ready to film this movie, and I was getting ready to blow him away. <laughs> and so it's funny, man. It's funny how, like, things work out, man. I I, I, serious, I seriously believe that your life is written already. Like, God God knows exactly what you are going to do, so... This is how it happened, man, and I'm blessed. I'm blessed.
0: So, why did you guys change the name from the Playboys to Riff?
1: All right, this is a good story. All right, so after filming the movie Lean On Me, the movie wasn't the movie wasn't out yet. Like we had filmed it, you know, we had did everything. We we flew out to L.A., you know, because. They filmed the movie at Eastside High School, and they filmed it at Burbank Studios in Hollywood. So we done done been out to Los Angeles, man. We feeling like celebrities. Okay, so what happened was um, the writer, the musical producer of the movie, Lean On Me, and the executive producer of the movie formed a production company called Fair Shot Productions. And they were interested in signing Riff, which is myself, Anthony Dwayne, Kenny, and Steven, and also the guy, Jermaine Hopkins, that had the lead role in Lean on Me, um, to a production company. So they signed us up, and they um, was pretty much saying that they were going to shop us a record deal. So we were in rehearsal one day, you know, rehearsing songs. So when they make – when Fair Shop Productions made the meetings, you know, that we had to go to these record companies and audition. We wanted to be ready, so we were in rehearsal one day, and you know, with our manager Skip Van Rensselaer, um, who also worked at the school, who heard us sing the school song, and he made like straight, straight up man. Like after we sang that school song for the first time, he got in contact with somebody for us to meet with him. He wanted to manage us off the spot. So check, check it out. Um, So we're in rehearsal, and, you know, we're we're learning songs. Skip was a great writer. Um, He had some songs, and, you know, we put harmonies to his songs, and he was a good arranger and stuff. And Anthony Fuller was one of the guys uh, that liked to do a lot of runs and riffs in songs, you know. Like, he, he couldn't sing, like, a song straight without doing tricks, and Skip Van Rensselaer said, "You know what, y'all y'all need to change our name from the Playboys to Riff, and because Anthony riffed too much, and we was like, you know what, that's hot. We're keeping it, and that's how we got our name to switch. We switched it from the Playboys to Riff, and that's how that came about. So it was basically because of Anthony, you know, feeling good in the rehearsal." and tearing it up, and Mr. Skip said, y'all should change our name to Riff, and that's, that's how it came about.
0: Cool, cool. Um, I remember reading an article like 20-plus years ago when NSYNC was like out and popping. I mean, they were just getting ready to... Um, they'd already dropped the first CD, but they were just on the verge of like really blowing up at the turn of the century, and Vibe Magazine did an article on NSYNC and J.C., who, for all of his purposes, is a better singer than Justin Timberlake. That's another conversation. I think so. But um, J.C. mentioned he was like, one of the groups that he studied was riff. So just, just know how to, you know, get harmony in the right place and how to riff in a song and how to do the extra stuff without overdoing it and still keeping it stylish, and presentable to the mainstream. So shout out, to JC Ch- shout out to J.C. Chavez for, you know, paying homage to Riff when it really
1: wasn't a cool thing to do back in
0: 2000. So I, want to give I a know, bit of-
1: man. You know what? We had heard that, man. I've never seen the article. So if you have it, you should send that to me, man. I would love to see that. We We heard that J.C. did that. And yeah. I, I I would love to see the article so that I can write him and, like, thank him for, like, you know, bigging us up. A lot of groups still to this day won't give Riff their props. And we are quick to give other groups their shine, but, like, groups yeah. will not give it to us, man. And I know we are one of the best vocal groups. We were one of the best vocal groups out there at that time I promise you you know like standing in a room uh, with us like y- you will see that you can hear that you know what I mean but uh yeah. none of the groups back then like really wanted to give it up man it, it was a battle you know, there was a lot of groups out in the '90s, crazy, man. man. And
0: it was, it was coming in crazy
1: man. But,
0: but I huh? can tell you man, I you know we're gonna, we're gonna get all that later in the interview with but... I can tell you when I interviewed um, High Five, uh, mm-hmm. Tristan, like was constantly shouting out um, Riff because you know I asked him like you know if you had an unlimited budget, you know who would you all like to tour with you know as like a ladies only tour and the first name Tristan and the other guy said was Riff. Like I mean he didn't even hesitate. He,
1: straight you up know what? Down, so he was like Riff. You know what man? You Tristan, Tristan is one of a kind, man. Like, oh, yeah, I'm not even I mean. gonna lie to you, man. He's a guy that when we came out, it was us, High Five, Joe <laughs> Boys the Men, Color Me Bad, Men Condition. Like those were like strong groups at that time. We all and many had hits more. on the charts. And I know Trust Trustin Trustin for a long time, man, like and he hasn't changed not one bit, man. And that brother He's the only one. The only group that give us our props, man. He's the only group member, like in any group, man, that you know what I mean? Like he don't have to be in front of us. He'll do it on interviews and Big Bub from today. He Big Bub from today is like our brother. So it's 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 um you know He's another one that will give us props. And that's pretty much who Riff patterned themselves after, man. We patterned ourselves after the new edition, the fourth MDs, um, with a little bit of Take Six and a lot of the group today. Because today was one of the first groups that came up out of Jersey. And it's funny because we are all from the same circle. Like today – um. The group Street, like Chauncey Black and Eric Williams, and like we all, and Big, you know, like Big Bub, we all come from the same area. So Big Bub was like the first one out the gate as far as our time to do what he did, and he made everybody else want to do it. And that's how it all, because we all used to sing gospel, so we all used to see each other in that, you know, in that church thing. But Big Bub was the first one like doing R and B. Like we never really knew that we wanted to do R and B. We just knew the groups that we liked. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm, big yeah. up the Big Bub. Big up the Treston. Those dudes are real. And JC <laughs> from In <NSYNC. laughs> Yeah, really big up his to fair- those guys.
0: And JC never really got his fair solo shot solo shot but again that's another conversation that I could go into for a minute but you know I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm focusing on man Nitty Green because you know it's his interview Let's so go, we all the and lean on me growing up, growing up in Patterson New Jersey was Eastside High always that rough or did the movie kind of downplay how rough the school really
1: was it's funny man Eastside was tough <laughs> And, you know, I got to tell you, man, like, when we got there, Joe Clark had just threw everybody out of the building. That's how he got his name. Like, the year before we got there, he had tossed out all of the bad seeds, man. He stood up to him and was like, yo, if, you know, you guys haven't, you know, he'll let them know. If you're not coming here to learn. You know what I mean? And, you know, he'll go back and look and see what everybody's doing in their grades. And the ones that were below grade average, he threw them out. It's like go somewhere else. You know what I mean? Because you're not, you know, working at the standard that I need you to work here. You know, we're trying to get our numbers up and, you know, we're not having it here. He cleaned it up, man. So when I got there, you know what I mean, it still had, a few knuckleheads, but not as bad as from what we heard, you know what I mean? Like, it, it was a thing where, like, you know, like, if you was a freshman coming into that school, there was a initiation, man, process that needed to go through. So you would literally get beat up in that school, man, in order to be a ghost, you know, That's why they say once a ghost, always a ghost. But, like, it's like, you know, that was our slogan up at Eastside High School. So if you come into that school, like, you knew that, like, somehow or another, you was getting, like, initiated into the building. Thank God for Joe Clark, man, because I dread it. But, like, you know, there was only two schools, like, really, that the hood can really go to, because you have to have, have like, like, real good grades to go to one of the other schools that's on the outskirts. So it was Kennedy High School and Eastside High School, and they were rivals. So when we got up there, Joe Clark to- had tossed them all out. So we had a, a a clear path on what we needed to do, man. I didn't really have... No worries. I just went up there to do what I had to do. Yeah, the fellas, we all went up there and did what we had to do, man. And it was just amazing how it all came about from us getting our shot, man. But, yeah, Patterson was tough as a whole, but Eastside High School was tough as well.
0: How was the experience working with Morgan Freeman on your first movie set?
1: You know what, man? Morgan Freeman, you know, like, we thought that he would be, like, this big Hollywood star, you know, wouldn't, you know, didn't didn't want to sit in a room with you, didn't want to, it was nothing like that, man. Morgan Freeman was, like, you know, unk, you know, as the kid said today, he was, like, big unk, man, like, you know, throwing the football, cracking jokes, you know what I mean, uh, amazing guy, man, amazing guy, man, you know, we learned a lot from him, you know what I mean, he coached us through that scene, um, you know, so that the the movie screen, like, whoever's watching the movie can get that feeling, because, you know, like, Riff, at that point, we were, like, real good at singing the school song, so when we came in there, we had to cut it, we had to film it, like, at least 10 times, because... We was like, we we grooving. And Morgan Freeman is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, look. mm -mm. I know you guys aren't like actors yet, but you get ready to act today. He said, this is, I'm going to set it up for you. He said, I just busted y'all in the bathroom. Okay. So now, you're in trouble. You're gonna get kicked out of here if you don't know this school song. So when you sing it, you have to fuck it up first. And he pointed to me and was like, You gotta smudge him, like, yo, get it right, man. This is this is it. And then y'all go into it. And when you go into it, You still have to have that scaredness. You have to have the scared looks. You have to sing it not perfect, but good enough where the people in the audience will believe that this is how it's going down. You got to sing it nervous. You got to sing it like y'all nervous as hell. And we did it like, I swear to you, man, like 10 takes, man, until it was the right one. And we got it. Because we were singing it entirely too good, man. We just like, they like, no, no, man, y'all can't, you can't sing it like that. You got to give it to me. Y'all got to be scared. And it came off good on the big screen, man. It became the ghetto anthem in every hood, man. You can't go in no hood and not know the school song. <laughs> you can't. You can't, man. And it's funny, even the kids today, Today, if you be like, yo, you remember that movie Lean On Me? It still comes on today, man. Like, cats know that school song. If you strike it up, they know it. No doubt. Yeah. All right.
0: So how did the group end up signing with Capitol Records?
1: Okay. Well, uh, like I said, the production company, Fair Shot Production, ended up... Um, and it was SB, SBK Records affiliated with Capitol. It was a new label. They had just signed yeah, Vanilla was, Ice. They signed, yeah, Capitol um, was the parent, right? Huh?
0: Cap- Capitol was the parent, right? And SBK was like right, the subsidiary exactly. exactly. Capital.
1: Capitol? Yes, exactly. Um, so they had just signed Vanilla Ice, who was doing good. They signed Wilson Phillips, Tracy Chapman, um, you know what I mean? It was a, it was a new it was a new label at the time. So um, we had went to a couple labels. They didn't see it. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't sign Riff. It was two labels before we got to SBK. So he went in for the audition. We sang for Donald Rubin, um, who was uh, vice president at the time. Um, Danny Glass, he runs Glass Note Records today. Um, And it was Charles Kopperman, who was the CEO, the chairman of the board at that time. But we sang for uh, Donald Rubin first. We went into the um, office, they set it up, and Riff sang a cappella for them and blew them away. He goes out, he go get Daniel Glass, he comes in and he's like, Yeah, I want you guys to do exactly what you did for Danny Glass. And we sang for Danny Glass and they looked at each other and was like, You think Charles is gonna like it? Who was the big guy? He picked up the phone and was like, You know, let me see if I can get him down there or we gotta go up to his office. So um, Donald Rubin gets on the phone, calls and says, is Charles available? Can he come down? He got something that he wanted to see. So while we're waiting for him to come down, there was a secretary. She was a secretary at the time. Um, was uh, Donald Rubin's secretary. Her name was Blasette Kitson. Black lady. So she's sitting outside the office. Um, I heard Donald Rubin ask her, Do you like what you hear? She didn't say nothing at first. You know what I mean? Because they held you accountable for what you say, from what I know now. She didn't say shit. She was just like on some chill stuff. So Charles Copperman came into the office. And uh, Daniel Glass was like, listen, do what you just did for Charles Koppelman. Charles Koppelman sat down. He lit up a cigar in the office at the time. This is back in 89. Nope. It was, yeah, 89. And we sang. And he was like, wow. He was like. I definitely love what I hear he said I don't like it he said I love it he said we can definitely do something so we celebrate and stuff but he said but I gotta I gotta get another opinion so he goes out into the hallway it's Charles Copman, He, he says Blossett come here he said did you hear these boys sing she said yes he said he said what do you think about them she said I think they're they're amazing that's how we got our deal. Charles Commer was like, look no further. Riff has a home here. And they had a vision on what they wanted Riff to do at the time. Like I said, we was straight out of church boys. We had we didn't have no R and B um like training, like like it wasn't like like we were church boys, period. But they had um, they wanted us to do pop music at the time, so they hooked us up with, uh, you know, some pop producers out in L.A. We flew out to L.A., man, like a year later, and we did our first album, man, and that's that's pretty much how it, how it went down. And we came off of that, man, and got a few, you know, top ten hits, man. We toured. It was great, man. It was, a, it was a good, 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 good turn, man. It was good. It was yeah, a good life-changing a situation.
0: Huh? Yeah, we're getting into all that. You know, I got the okay, question, man. Okay, let's do it. Let's you do must, it. You must be an r b fan, so. All, all right. right. So the single from the first album, where my heart is failing me, if you're serious, yeah. and every time my heart beats.
1: Right. Of the three,
0: what was your personal favorite to
1: perform? Out of those three? Yeah, I like My Heart is Telling Me because um, we did our choreography like our favorite group, which was New Edition at the time. You know what I mean? So our choreographer, um, his name was Lazy, and Mike Swift, Like we, we basically told them that we want to be on some New Edition steps on this song and with a little bit of hip-hop with it. <laughs> so, like, one of the guys was the choreography for Big Daddy Kane, you know, Scoop and Scrap. He used to do choreography for um, Big Daddy Kane. So, and the other guy, Lazy, he was, like, just a big rap influence dude. You know, he knew everybody in the rap game. So, our show was was we, we had pop songs with like a hard edge show. It was crazy, but um, yeah, it was my hardest Me was my favorite song to perform because I didn't have to sing lead. I was doing my steps because I thought I was Bobby Brown and Ronnie DeVoe mixed in together at one time. <laughs> I thought I was them them brothers, man. That's that's it. You know what I mean. new Edition new was our group,
0: man. Oh, everybody's group. <laughs> yeah. And just to, just to sidetrack um a little bit too um you know being a diehard new Edition fan, you know they still haven't. I mean, yeah, you know they they have the movie, they had the um, the star on the Hollywood fame and everything, but I mean personally, you know they still don't get. They're just due to me by the masses for everything they accomplished and just how we were talking earlier about, you know, everything happen- everything having a purpose mm-hmm. and happening at the right time. So yeah. if Marie Starr – I'm I'm just give you a little, you know, tangent real quick. If Marie Starr never signed New Edition and they never left him, we wouldn't have a new on the block. So in turn – if Nica's on the block didn't make it, then we would have never got the Backstreet Boys because
1: exactly.
0: Lou Pearlman, who flew the Nicas on the block's plane, was the one that discovered the Backstreet Boys. So it was all like exactly. a domino effect, and folks don't really give the no audition their just credit for everything they did. and How you can pretty much trace every group of some sort back to them, you know, that came out after them in some shape or fashion. But, you know, that's yeah, just my little fanboy tangent.
1: So no, who was true. the
0: first act you on tour with in support of your debut album?
1: We went on tour with Vanilla Ice, man. That was our first. Listen, our first show um, that we did, we opened up at the Beacon Theater in New York City. That was our first concert. And it was a big night. Madonna was in the building, because I think she was dating Vanilla Ice at the time, so it was like a star-studded event. Vanilla Ice was on fire at that time. Ice Ice Baby was humongous, and we went on tour with Vanilla Ice for six months. We toured with him all over, cross seas, um, everywhere. We was with him. We even did a song with him on his album. He did like a um, a live album. like So all the songs that he did on his first project, he did a live album. And Riff uh, did the song with him, I Love You. And we filmed it in Paisley Park at Prince House. We filmed the video at Paisley Park at Prince House, man, and... I watched Prince um, stand in the shadows like he he wouldn't be seen. He would just, like, I seen him because I was a big Prince fan, so I was looking for his ass, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I yeah. seen him stand in the shadows. So when I went over to the area, he was gone. So my manager was like, um, you know, at the time, our tour manager, John Dubuque, was like, uh, I'm going to see if I can, Get somebody to show you around Prince's house, and sure enough, man, there was a um, a person that that worked there. It's like, sure, I'll show you. And they showed me where Prince had his guitars made, like right there, man. He had his he makes his guitars. He got people making it made made his guitars. All of his clothes, like you seen the sewing machine. They let me see the studios. Like, he got, like, three, four studios inside of that place. It's crazy. Like, I, I lost my mind. And I didn't see Prince again. Like, I don't know where where he went to. I saw him for that second. Bang. And he left. He, like, went off into, into you know, I don't know where he went. <laughs> but he wasn't there anymore. But he was watching us film the video, man, and I was, I was like, oh my god, Prince right there. And it was like, well, wow. we turned, we look, he was gone. It's crazy. So Vanilla Ice, man, we went on tour with Vanilla Ice, and that was, a, that was an experience, man, because we went from the Beacon Theater straight to singing for like fifty thousand people, man. Like, it's crazy, like twenty thousand people, man, in an arena. Like it was ridiculous. Like we 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 never did a club date. We went straight to the arenas, man. It was crazy <laughs> nervous. I remember our first, our second show was in Georgia, and I guess the Beastie Boys was out there doing something like you know years before. So you know Vanilla Ice, you know it's the tour. So we had cops come backstage into our dressing room and was like, "Listen, we just left Vanilla Ice dressing room, and we' telling and, and we told him the same thing we're getting ready to tell you. It was like, there will be no harping, no grinding <laughs> on the ground, or any sex gestures on the stage. Because if we do, we're going to lock your asses up. We're telling you right now, we're not going to have that tonight. None of that. There'll be no smoking weed on stage. We was like, sir, we, we, we don't do none of that. We're a singing group. He was like, I'm just letting you know, it's not going down tonight. So we were shook. This is our second show, man. Our second show. We shook. And we had something in our show where we, on every time my heartbeat, you know, riff goes down on the ground and we hump. And then we come back. We had to. We we end up changing that part in the show. Um, and uh, we did a push up, man, instead of the hump, man. You understand? We wasn't trying to go to jail. <laughs> it was fun, man. It was fun. We had a ball. And then after that, after that tour, we went straight to the Mama Said Knock You Out tour with LL Cool J for six months. Because now they had pushed us pop. Now they wanted us to like, you know, go get a mixed crowd because, you know, white and black people came to see LL. So they mm-hmm. wanted us to get some blackness. They thought we should go and do some shows with you know, LL. So we don't tour with him for six months. It was fun, man. It was fun. We had we had a good time.
0: So how, how was Rella Ice, hanging out with him? I You know what? Kept the
1: we You know, believe it or not we really never had a conversation with ice like not even when we did his 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 record like he was on that shit that that um hollywood stuff you know he was blowing up man he blew he was like he's crazy like we never really had a conversation we didn't have no problem with him we just never had like a real conversation with him like but he would you know, he would give us props though. Like when we came out on stage, like he brought us he brought us up right. He was like, Yeah, we're gonna bring up you know, we're gonna bring like you would think that we was his best friends, man. But that cat was like, yo, we're gonna bring one of the baddest groups out right now, we're gonna bring this out on stage and they're gonna tear this boy up. And he started a song and we come out and we we sing it, but we never never really got a chance to, like, really kick it with him like that until later on, like, after, you know, our, you know, tour situation was over. Like, I just kicked it with Ice, like, maybe three, four, nope, like five years ago, yep, no, four years ago, you know, he let me get some free tickets. It was a um, New Kids on the Block and Vanilla Ice, and it was uh, somebody else. But um, Vanilla Ice gave me tickets, and I came back and I hung out with him. And he was like, yo, I always wanted you to know that, you know, you you guys were one of the best. So I started, you know, we started a dialogue like that. So he's changed, like, big, big time. He's He's not there. He's still rich as hell, but he's Ooh. not what he, like, he's not, on what he was on before, like he's humbled himself, real, real nice.
0: So ninety two, you guys are red hot, doing your thing. You all link with the, you all link up with the man of the hour, Dallas Austin, to record the title track to the White Man Can Jump soundtrack, one of my personal mm. favorites. What do you remember yeah. about shooting the video for that one with Woody Harrelson? And Miss Rosie Perez.
1: Okay. Well, we hooked up with Dallas in um, Atlanta. Uh, We flew out to Atlanta. Um, There's a quick story behind that song. Um, Dallas Austin submitted the song to the people that was in charge. I guess um, EMI has something to do with the soundtrack, whatever. So Dallas Arthur submitted a song, you know, he's like red hot on fire, submitted a song of a group that he was in called the Holland Place Mobsters. They had this song called Let's Get Naked that was just getting ready to drop or something like that. And he wanted, they demoed the song. So when we heard it, you know, like we got called into the to the meetings like, you know, you guys going to be on a soundtrack Name of the movie is called White Man Can't Jump, starring, you know, Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrison, and Rosie Perez. So he's like, what? It's like, we're going to fly out to uh, Atlanta and going to record with Dallas Austin. He just, you know, he just, you know, did TLC, Boys the Men. He's red hot right now. was like, oh, my God, we get ready to blow. It's like, learn the song. We got one day to learn it. We are gonna fly y'all out there. So we went in to the studio. We learning the song. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. We flew out to Atlanta. And anyway, the Highland Place mobsters got knocked. They wasn't gonna let them do the song. So we thought like Dallas was gonna have like a problem with that. You know what I mean? But it wasn't like that. When we got out there, man, Dallas came into the studio. It's like, what's up, fellas? You know what I mean? He's like, yo, it's going to be a pleasure working with you guys. You guys can sing. You know what I mean? He said, did y'all get a chance to listen to the record? He was like, yeah. He was like, did y'all learn it? We was like, yeah. He's was like, can y'all sing it for me? It was like, yeah. So he didn't even put on a track. He said, let's hear it. Like, he made the joke, like Morgan Freeman. You know what I mean? So he was like, "Well, let me hear it." So he, we went into it. It had to do what you gotta do. We went into it and hitting all them harmonies and shit. He was like, "Whoa!" He was like, "Okay, cool." He said at this time, he said, "You know what I mean? I, I want to get a chance to bond with you guys. Max, all the management, them to leave. Come back tomorrow, cause we're gonna be here all night." They they left. Gib left, you know what I mean, and, um, you know, the record company representative left. And before we started the session, Dallas was like, you know, we're going to kick it off with a prayer. He took off his hat. Man, we prayed. He, inter- he introduced us to his, his right-hand man. His name is Randy. He passed away. I'm not really sure how. What I heard was a motorcycle accident shortly after that but uh, Randy, Randy was Randy a
0: ladies gym. man huh was it Randy Rand, ladies man Sherell's husband
1: I, I, I don't really know I don't really know his last name I know his name Randy but um, he was a nice guy as well and we ended up cutting the record man and right after we cut it he mixed it that next morning from Atlanta we flew out to florida to do the video which means that they had the video treatment all set up and everything they and picked our clothes and everything we flew right from atlanta out to florida to go do the video now you know we and we tired but we in the trailers and stuff like that man and in come rosie perez woody harrison and Wesley Snipes, they come in, and I can remember, um, you know, Wesley being real, real smooth. What's up, guys? How you doing, Woody? You know, he was the jokester. You know what I mean? He, 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 he was the jokester. He just, you know, played jokes. He pour water on you, whatever. Cracking jokes. And Rosie smelled good. She had a fat ass at that time. You know, all of us. You know, we like, yeah, boy. You know, looking at that, you know what I mean <laughs> the young lady Perez crazy, so <laughs> everybody check it out, so we filmed the video, man, which was it was no no pain man it was it was we had a great time, man, every experience at this point was going exactly where we wanted it to go, man, it was good, it was all good, the video was great. Rosie, Wesley, and um, Woody was all great, very patient, and they was having fun, man. We even hung out after that, went to dinner. It was cool.
0: 93, you always the second album, Zoom, May mm-hmm. Concern, mm-hmm. which we took covers of Switches, They'll Never Be, and the Ozzy Brothers' Voyage to Atlantis. Did you all feel any pressure recording iconic songs?
1: You know what, man? Um, Producer of the Switch song, Troy Taylor, he was coming up. He did a couple songs on the Boys to Men project. Um, We were embarking into an area that, again, we didn't know anything about, you know, like, as far as, like, R&B music, like, because our brains were, like, trained. To now do pop music, you know what I mean. We was doing pop music first, so the second album we wanted to go a different way. Record company wasn't too happy about that. It was, they was like, you know, I don't think you guys should do it like that. Um, but we begged them, and for some reason, they let us slide. To do, they were like, "Well, who you want to work with, you know, on these these projects? Like, you know what I mean? Is there anybody in in particular? You know, we thinking, you know, we we didn't know no better. It was like Bernard Bell. He just came off doing Remember the Time with Michael Jackson. Instead of going to get Teddy Riley, we wanted Bernard Bell because he was from Jersey. You understand what I'm saying? And we were writing our own stuff at the time. You know what I mean? We was writing songs for the for the project, you know, which we didn't have the opportunity to do on the first project. So we was, like, thinking about the money aspect of it, like, trying to get involved with the record and trying to figure out, you know, a way to go, Try to figure out the riff sound. So we hooked up with a producer, Troy Taylor, um, who ended up doing a cover. They'll Never Be. Personally, I never liked, and I sang lead on it, but I never liked the arrangement of that song. You know what I mean? Everybody loved it. But personally, me, I could talk about it now, like, deep down in my soul. I I thought it could be, it could have been a, a little bit better. Like, Troy made it fun. And as a producer now myself, like, I never thought the song should be fun. I thought it should, it was a love song. And if you listen to the lyrics and the way it was produced back then, like I always thought, we should have like if we would have, if I had to produce the record over, I would do it so much different right now. But back then, R&B was uh, a different way. You know, you had Boys and Men with Motown Family, you had Jodice on that other stuff. And we had to figure out where we were gonna go. So, Troy produced the record. You know what I mean? As you know, like he wanted to, and that's that's pretty much. He had like four songs on the album, and that was one of the songs that we did. They'll never be. The Isley Brothers, Bernard Bell produced that. You know, we thought that one was was um, we actually wanted them to release that one or don't leave we wanted them to release the record company to release those two because um, you know we felt they would have did better for us on the second project but um, they didn't want to do that they wanted to you know I'm bouncing they wanted to shut the album down and do another record but go go ahead so yeah that's that's pretty much they'll never be was produced by Troy Taylor Personally, me, since I'm like you said, I'm shooting the ball. I'm gonna say that I like the record a lot. The way we did it, you know, I didn't feel no pressure because I thought Troy was a, you know, he did, you know, he was, uh, um, he was heating up in the game as far as yeah. a producer. So, you know, he wrote "Sweet Lady" for Tyrese. You know, we thinking he gonna give us that shit. So, that's how it all became, man. That's that's how it all came about. So I know we didn't feel any pressure. We thought we were we were in good hands with uh, Troy Taylor and Bernard Bell. Tune into reviews and done next week for part two of this interview.